Uh, I'm going to say no one's better than me. But <laughs> <laughs> yeah, let's go. Blow up. Welcome, everybody, to another episode of Locked On Dolphins. I am your host, Kyle Krabs. It is Thursday, April 9th. We are two weeks away from the first round of the 2020 NFL Draft. And we got some stuff to get into today, specifically regarding one of Miami's potential quarterback targets for the 2020 NFL Draft. But also discussing a former Miami Dolphin who joined an exclusive club this past week. I don't know if you guys saw this, but the NFL released its all-decade team for the 2010s. There was not a single Miami Dolphin on the list, which might not surprise you until you remember the fact that Cameron Wake played this entire decade and was an absolute monster this entire decade. The NFL's all-decade team for 2010 added four defensive ends to the roster, some of which are difficult to argue with, like Houston's J.J. Watt. Uh, Von Miller made it as a linebacker. Uh, Arizona and Jacksonville defensive end Calais Campbell, who's been a stalwart the past few years in Jacksonville and had a very strong finish to his career in Arizona. So I'm not going to argue too hard there. New Orleans' Cameron Jordan it's an interesting choice, not necessarily the name that, you know, if you ask me who one of the three best defensive ends in the NFL were this past decade, I'm not sure that's a name that would have came to mind. And Carolina Panthers, Chicago Bear, Green Bay Packer, Julius Peppers. Julius Peppers making this list over Cameron Wake is a joke. And this should not be a surprise you know, Dolphins fans remember throughout the course of the 2010s, Rashad Jones was snubbed from the Pro Bowl like three times. Zach Thomas continues to be snubbed in the, the Hall of Fame voting. So it's it's not surprising that a player like Cameron Wake, who invested his entire career playing in South Florida, never played in a playoff game, uh, is overlooked. I get it from an optics of, of league-wide visibility. But Julius Peppers being the name, Dolphins fans over the course of the last few days have flocked to this and pointed out all of the hypocrisy, uh, the, the confusing case for Julius Peppers, uh, who retired in, after the 2018 season, played in three more games than Cameron Wake this past decade, had almost 20 less sacks, Cam Wake had 95 sacks, and Julius Peppers had 78 and a half between the years 2010 and 2019. Cameron Wake had 90 more quarterback hits, 215 versus 125. He had nine more tackles for loss, 20 or 93 versus 84. Two safeties, one more Pro Bowl selection, an equal number of All Pro selections to Julius Peppers in the 2010 to 2019 range. Cameron Wake's 95 sacks from 2010 to 2019 are the third highest in the NFL, trailing only J.J. Watt, who had one more, and Von Miller, who I think had 10 more. Cameron Wake, 95 sacks in 10 years, could not make the all-decade team for Julius Peppers. Explain it to me like I'm five, because I don't get it. 
and if you're going to make these proclamations and you're going to use numbers to back it up, there is no argument on the face of the planet that you can justify that would put Julius Peppers on the all-decade team in front of Cameron Wake. Cameron Wake, of course, still a free agent, so we're waiting to see where he lands. I'm, I'm hopeful we'll get to see him play in 2020. Continue to build on his sack total. He went up over 100 career sacks this past year with the Titans. I think he needed one and a half, two and a half, and he got them in the first game. And then he didn't log another one the rest of the way. So uh, sending best wishes to Cam. We still love you. Every Dolphins fan will love you for being one of the few bright spots of the past 10 years. We will not forget. We promise we look forward to seeing you in the Ring of Honor someday. And I don't think there's any question your resume was deserving of being amongst the NFL's all-decade team in in the 2010s. feel a little better getting that off my chest. I saw that and really didn't invest too much time into it when it first came out at the beginning of the week because we've been so busy with this build-up to the draft and then you know, really sat down and looked at it. And then you, you start seeing the tweets trickle out from people who are like, how the hell did Cam Wake not get in over Julius Peppers? And you look at the resumes, and it's, it's baffling. It really is. We're going to talk about Tua, and we're going to talk specifically about how the tea leaves are not looking good for Miami and Tua. There's a couple reasons behind this, and and please spare me the um, the tweets afterwards that say smokescreen exclamation point. I've reached the point where if you tweet me smokescreen, you're probably going to get muted until the draft <laughs> because it's everybody's reaction to everything is oh it's a smokescreen. Well, not everything's a smokescreen. And we are starting to see the momentum build in a case against Tua. And this is, this. I guess this could be team motivated. But at the same time, if I'm the Dolphins, the Dolphins don't, do not need to move up to draft either one of them. I would bet good money, Miami, if they hold their water and they sit tight at five, Tua's going to be there at five. The medicals, no, this is part of the discussion that we need to have. Michael Lombardi, former NFL general manager, dropped a bombshell regarding Tua on his latest GM Shuffle podcast. Two teams that Michael Lombardi has talked to, including one in the top 10, has flunked Tua for his medicals. I can hear everybody now. Well, what about all the reports after the combine? And what about the reports after his doctor's appointments? Who do you think's given that information out? The doctor's not calling up the teams and saying, or calling up Ian Rappaport or Ian Ch- Adam Schefter and saying, hey, just got done checking out Tua. He looks great. It's a HIPAA violation. It's coming from the Tua side of things. Of course they're going to spin it. And that's that has been all of the extenuating circumstances that have stacked up against Tua over the course of these past few months with the hip and the medicals and COVID-19 and the travel restrictions and no rechecks of, uh, with team doctors with player visits, they have had to try to commandeer the narrative in the public form about his prospects. And they've done a great job in doing that. It's the only thing you can do. But when Tua has a doctor's appointment and the report comes out afterwards, 
Of course it's coming from Tua's side of things. And now we're getting inside information from a couple of teams, and this could be gamesmanship. But we're at that juncture away from the draft, in which I think back to 2018, and for three months, it was Sam Darnold to the Cleveland Browns. Slam dunk. It was inconceivable for anybody up until about this time in 2018, in which you started to hear a little bit of a whisper of, well, maybe Baker Mayfield's the guy. And then we had a little bit of waffling back and forth, and then about 48 hours out from the draft, it was, yeah, they're probably going to take Baker. And then they took Baker, and Sam goes at, at three to the New York Jets. So there's an inevitability with some of this information, and, and I've mentioned this before, that some of this information is gamesmanship, but some of this information is legitimate. And when you get this much steam pouring out from different resources, this isn't to say Miami might not take it to. I still don't know. I put out a funny little video this morning with a Tank for Tua t-shirt. Putting it away. With See You Again by Charlie Pugh playing in the background. I don't know, but my gut and the amount of time that I have spent around the NFL draft, in my seventh year of covering the NFL draft, the tea leaves here are real hard away from Miami and Tua. Not to say that, that it's done. I don't want to insinuate that at all. But we as fans, you got to brace yourselves for the storm here. Daniel Jeremiah of NFL Network, earlier this week, two days ago, Redid a mock draft. And he had the Dolphins picking at five with both Justin Herbert and Tua on the board at five. What do you think Daniel Jeremiah did? He mocked them Herbert. So we're hearing whispers of teams beginning to flunk Tua, potentially flunk Tua. You'd never hear a bad report from the Tua camp on his medicals. It only mattered what the teams thought because the teams are the ones that are going to have to have a guy that's going to put their reputation on the line, rubber stamp it, and say, I'm going to bet on this guy. So let's talk a little bit about the risk. Let's talk about the dynamics of team building because I think it's important to note, and you could take the case of risk and you could build it in a case against or for Tua and against or for Justin Herbert. The Dolphins' rebuild has been attacked in a way in which they, they've angled themselves to be in good position to take a quarterback this year. Um, that's my expectation. I talked about the, the yesterday on the Mad Online episode. I would be mad online if they chose to forsake the entire direction of their rebuild, which is we got to position ourselves to build a quarterback. So if you swing and you take Tua, and his medicals and his durability are bad. And you end up coming up relatively empty-handed. And three years from now, you're, you're looking at needing a quarterback again. It's not crippling. What it would be is very expensive to swing the bat again. The Dolphins swung cheap on Josh Rosen, didn't work out. This is a notable investment, but as long as you don't trade up, it's not a killer because you're not taking multiple players off the table. You're taking a quarterback. But if three years from now, 
the rest of this team build goes the way that you want it to. You're probably winning nine games, worst case scenario. You're picking somewhere 18 to 24 in the order. Kind of that quarterback purgatory with a good team, right? Because I believe with the coaching staff we have in place with Brian Flores, I believe with all of the draft capital that we have and the cap space that we have at our disposal, it's hard to envision this team being like 3-13 and 13 bad. It's hard to envision this team being 6-10 and 10 bad. In two or three years, once we get this infusion of talent into the roster and they've played together for a couple years, it should be a, a playoff contender team, but how serious they will be taken as a Super Bowl contender, that's where the quarterback's going to come into play. And if you don't have one, then what you've done is you've put yourself in a position to be like the, what the Philadelphia Eagles were when they moved up. They moved up. They had a little bit of a down year. They had Sam Bradford, I believe, got hurt. And they were picking 13, and they moved from 13 to 7 with Miami, and then they went from 7 to 2 and drafted Carson Wentz. And they did a great job getting paying as little as possible. They went from 7 to 13 for the price of Kiko Alonso and Byron Maxwell. We can only be so lucky if it comes to that. But if Miami finds themselves three years down the road looking for a quarterback because Tua's durability does not lend itself to him being the long-term answer that everybody on the outside seems to think that he is, that's your answer. Now you got to pay a couple of ones, a couple of twos, and you do that three years from now with a really good roster. you got a really good roster and house built for another rookie quarterback. So that's your case if you want to take two is say, okay, well, if he flops, we're going to stay put at five and we'll take him. And if he can't stay healthy, then a couple years from now, we'll, we'll go down the line. The case for Herbert is kind of like the inverse where the ceiling, I think we all agree, would be lower. The tools are great. The feel for the game is something that's up in the air a little bit. And with Miami drafting Herbert now, the appeal at staying at five is now you have the chance in the here and now to build the house around him and have them come up together instead of having the house prepped and put the next quarterback, assuming the Tua doesn't work out, into that position. Herbert is one of those players that is going to need quality around him. And there's only like the absolute cream of the crop of the guys that can get away with not having that. Take take a look at even Aaron Rodgers at his peak is a bad example, but Aaron Rodgers the past few seasons is a good example of they have to give him more in Green Bay. Russell Wilson has had a terrible offensive line, and this team has won games. Inversely, the Buffalo Bills are a team that has a really good roster, and you could argue and debate they won games in 2019 in spite of a quarterback. And at the end of the day, the Seattle Seahawks and the Buffalo Bills came home with the same amount of hardware. Diddly-poo. Didn't win a division championship. And I think Dolphins fans have a little bit of shell shock from a number of different angles here. They've seen Tom Brady dominate the AFC East. They've seen Tom Brady go to eight Super Bowls and, and win six of them. But at the same time, 
this is such an, an inaccurate reflection on like the history of football, right? Because there's been like three or four AFC quarterbacks that have started in Super Bowls in the last 20 years. It's been like Peyton Manning, Joe Flacco, Ben Roethlisberger, Tom Brady, and Patrick Mahomes. And Patrick Mahomes was like the fifth one, and it was this year. That's not typically how it works. And I think Dolphins fans look at what the Patriots did with an elite quarterback, and they remember, well, we used to have an elite quarterback at Dan Marino, and Dan Marino didn't win a Super Bowl either, guys. Like, let's be honest with it. You've got to build an entire team. And if a quarterback is a piece of that and he fits and operates the way that you want him to, you can win. So if you end, if we end up seeing the Dolphins, if the Dolphins are too hesitant regarding the medicals or whatever, they choose they don't want to take that risk because they don't want to completely strike out on a quarterback. It's not a death sentence for this rebuild. And that would be what I ask you to carry into because I see so much of it now. There's so much negativity associated with the name Justin Herbert. Another reason for the, the PTSD is the Ryan Tannehill comp. My comp for Herbert's Carson Wentz. Carson Wentz, when he's on the field, is a really good quarterback. He came from an FCS school in North Dakota State. The tools are all similar. The, the, the backgrounds are a little different. Carson Wentz was a little bit more uh, under center, quote-unquote, pro style. And I would argue, you know, Justin Herbert, I saw a stat that, that it was, I believe, over 30% of his passing yardage this past year came from screen passes, and like 6% of Joe Burrow's came from screen passes. Say what you will about that passing production, that's the offense that he was in. And that horizontal spread and quick game and built-in, you know, his pre-designed play-action passing vertical shots down the field, it's probably going to look a little bit like what we saw Chan Gailey produce with the New York Jets. I think there is some legitimate questions on how much do the Dolphins love Justin Herbert as the leader and mentality have talked to some folks behind the scenes and gotten some good reviews. Um, he's not an alpha. He's not like Mr. Steal your girl kind of swaggy, but he's a hard worker. He's blue collar. He's well liked within his locker room. Uh, he galvanized guys at the senior bowl. You saw players seek him out at the senior bowl after the game and wish him well and dap him up. He was well-liked in Mobile. He was well-liked in Oregon. There was a preconceived notion of him before this past year that he was a, a little bit of like a, a homebody. You know, he stayed close to Oregon. He went back for a senior year. It caused some questions. He got put under the NFL microscope, and anybody and everybody that I've talked to has been comfortable with Justin Herbert. They said, no, nah, you know what, like once we got to know him, like he'll be just fine. So we've just got to keep ourselves vigilant and open-minded and receptive because there's a lot of smoke here now and it continues to snowball on us where we're talking about failed medicals for teams in the top 10. That's a report that's out right now. Daniel Jeremiah, mock draft, has Justin Herbert and Tua on the board for the Dolphins and the Dolphins drafting Herbert. 
I know some of the Miami Beat guys have talked to former general managers, and the general consensus has been, quote, no way are we taking two in the top five with his medical background. Michael Lombardi talked about a broken wrist, uh, both ankle surgeries, the dislocated hip, in a span of three years, all significant orthopedic injuries, and he said, nope, no, nobody that I've talked to is all about it either, especially with the lack of, of medical exposure for the teams to get their hands on these guys. And remember, the, the positive reviews and reports that you get, that's coming from the side of the fence that's invested in him going as high as possible. So I would just caution everybody, we're two weeks out. Let's be open-minded. Let's start to explore some of these possibilities and blends and combinations. I'm going to do some more three or some some more two-round mock combinations and look at what the Dolphins can walk away with, what the Dolphins could potentially build around each quarterback, and hopefully we uh, we get to to two weeks from now and we find a combo that that we actually proposed here on the show. So that that's my goal, my hope. I would thank you guys for carving some time out of your day today to listen to Locked On Dolphins. I hope you enjoyed. I am your host, Kyle Krabs. I'm signing off. I'll be back again tomorrow with another episode of Locked On Dolphins. Keep it locked in right here on Locked On Dolphins.